What happens with Nehemiah is Nehemiah is you know, kind of a normal guy in a pretty prestigious position who gets called to do something that he's never really entered into before, never done before, never done anything this type of this line of work, that he is called to build a wall around the city of Jerusalem. What we found out the last couple of weeks is that it's not just that Nehemiah was called to build a wall, but the wall had incredibly spiritual implications. That is, the wall that was very normal in and of itself had incredibly spiritual implications to when it got built. Um, essentially, Nehemiah would build a wall, and this wall would become the walls around the city of Jerusalem and the kind of the province of Judah. And as this wall would stand, and a couple you know, hundred years later, there would eventually become a guy who you've heard about. His name is Jesus. And Jesus would eventually be crucified on the foothills just outside of the walls of the walls that Nehemiah built. And Nehemiah had no clue of the spiritual implications, probably, of his wall. But Nehemiah had a calling to build a wall. And here is why that is so important. Because where most of us enter into the story of Nehemiah is at the same position of the realization that perhaps for many of us, God has not called us to do something expressly spiritual. And here's what I mean by that. Nehemiah's job of building this wall was not like, okay, Nehemiah, you're going to build this wall and you're going to be the best pastor ever because you built a wall. Nehemiah's job was just to build a wall. The wall was not spiritual, but it had incredibly spiritual implications. In the same way, most of us who are in the room this morning are not called to do something expressly spiritual with our lives. In other words, most of us in here, though some of us perhaps are, but most of us are not called to be missionaries in a foreign country. Most of us in here are not called to be worship leaders. Most of us in here are not called to be pastors, though some of us are. Most of us in here are called to be teachers, are called to be doctors, are called to be lawyers, are called, called to be audiologists and speech pathologists. Most of us in here are called to be bankers. Most of us in here are called to be financial planners. Most of us in here are called to be realtors. And what happens in most of our lives is that as we view the occupation and the specific things that we're supposed to do with our life, the tragedy is that many of us view what we're doing with no real spiritual connotation. But God has, in fact, called you to do something. And what he's called you to do has incredibly spiritual implications. In fact, for all of us, even if you know, you're kind of in college, you're not really sure where you are. Maybe you're an adult, you know, you're 30 years old and still not sure what you're doing. 40 years old, still don't really know where you want to land in life. For all of us, even if you have no clue what you want to do, you have been called as a Christian, if you are a Christian, you have been called to be obedient to God, to live a life, to live a life that's a, in the manner and worthy of the gospel. You've been called to live a life of obedience. And why for many of us, as you walk into the classroom, as you walk into the bank, as you walk into the, you know, wherever it is that you work, whatever it is that you go to school, as you walk in, you might not think in terms of expressly spiritual connotations because the spiritual is for the worship leader, the spiritual is for the pastor, the spiritual is for the missionary. What we believe is that God has uniquely gifted and wired you to do something extraordinary for his kingdom, and he did not give his son to die for you to put the spirit of God inside of you so that you would exist in mediocrity and normalcy. That you have been called to do something for the kingdom of God. And perhaps that something is just simply to live a life of obedience and submission to God and in doing so be a light to a lost and broken world. In the past three chapters, we've talked about the adversity. In fact, this is kind of what I titled as the adversity chapters. 
chapters 4, chapters 5, chapter 6, Nehemiah consistently goes through different parts of adversity. The reason why that's so important is because for all of us, if you begin to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if you begin to become the person that God's called you to do, to live the life of obedience that God has called you to live, at some point you will face adversity for that. At some point people will talk about you. At some point there will be inner turmoil as we started in chapter 5. And at some point there will be a sense that you will face adversity for becoming the person that God has called you to be. If you decide that you're going to be obedient to God, to live the life that God's called you to live at some point, People are going to talk about you. At some point, you're going to choose the not popular decision. At some point, you're going to have to disassociate yourself. At some point, I mean, come on, just in like the, the most basic level. If you're a Christian and you're in your office place, people are gossiping, and you decide that you're convinced that you should not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, that you should not participate in the gossip that happens in just the normalcy of life, and you choose to disengage, people will look at you like you're better than them, even though you don't feel that way. You will face adversity at every level. You will have to fight to become the person that God's called you to become. And so today, what we're going to talk about is what I think is the greatest piece of adversity that we go through. As Christians, specifically in America. I think this is the thing, out of all the things that we've talked about, this is the thing that derails more Christians from living and becoming the people of God and doing the work of God that God has called them to be and to do. And here's what it is. Distractions. Distractions. It, distraction, is the silent killer of Christians in their relationship with God and the work of God that God has called them to. We as a whole are an incredibly distracted people. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, he faces some very compelling distractions because distractions are almost always compelling. He faces some very distracti- or compelling distractions, and in that opens a lid for us to how to live a life of focus in light of a very distracting world. So, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, got your Bible open to it. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you just want a Bible, maybe you, you know, you're away from home or you forgot one, or you just the one that you got got eaten by the dog, you know, a.k.a. you don't have one, that's fine. You know, or it's just a really difficult one to read. And we have some on the way out there on the left. There's a little Pinteresty bookshelf because we are trendy. So... Grab one on your way out. We'd love for you to just go home and read this all for yourself. So Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, also will be on the screen. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Jeshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Jeshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafurim, however you pronounce that, in the plains of Ono, or as I say, Uno. Now, let me kind of set a little picture of what's happening to give you a little more context. There's these three guys, in fact, there's more than three guys, but there's three guys that they name specifically that don't want Nehemiah to build the wall. They are doing everything that they can, they can in their power to, to stop Nehemiah from building the wall. In chapter 4, they threatened verbally and physically. In chapter 5, they were part of the team that was giving to the inner turmoil that happened in the book of Nehemiah. And in chapter 6, they're going to start doing something that essentially is to distract Nehemiah. Now, pause. I had a great question this week, which was, so why don't they want to have Nehemiah build the wall? And it's simple. Jerusalem and Judah, Jerusalem the city, Judah kind of more the outlying area, 
was notorious for being rebellious against whatever ruler was over them and to the countries around them. They were constantly thought that there was this promise that God had given them through, the, through David that said that they were going to be their own autonomous king and kingdom. And so they would rebel all the time. And so they saw them as a potential threat, and they saw them, honestly, as competition. Modern day. This is like someone saying to you as a Florida State fan, why don't you want the Hurricanes to be good? It's like it's simple because we hate them. You know, there's, there's not a lot around them. I mean, the, the, the finer details of it is we also hate the Gators, by the way, but, you know, they're, you know they do steroids. So we're just going to let them have a pass for a little while. But for us, you know, we don't want Miami. We, you know, we love Mark Rick because he's kind of part of us. But we don't want Miami to have a great, you know, team and a great program because that's going to create competition for us that could potentially give us some losses, but not for the last decade. But that could potentially give us some losses. That creates some competition in terms of recruiting, all that stuff. By the way, if you are in here and you're a Miami fan, we love you. Jesus probably loves you. We don't, you know, about that right now. But you're in Florida, you're in Tallahassee, so get over it. So anyways... That's why we don't want them to be good. Well, in the same way, or in a similar way at least, it's not a perfect parallel, but in a similar way, the reason they didn't want Jerusalem was because Jerusalem created competition, Jerusalem could take them over, and Jerusalem was notorious for doing that. And so they looked at them and said, we don't want them to build their wall. And so they devised a plan that since the outside aggression, since the verbal threats and the physical threats and the internal threats didn't work, their thought process was, we are going to distract him because if we can get Nehemiah to stop if we can get Nehemiah to join us if we can get Nehemiah to lock himself in a house then the work will stop and the people will stop see the final threat the final piece of adversity that Nehemiah faced was the adversity of distraction to not focus on what God had called Nehemiah to focus on so they said Nehemiah come on why don't you meet with us? Come and let us meet together in the plain of Ono. But they intended to harm me. And so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now, this sets the, the, the entire idea of what Nehemiah is going to teach us in chapter 6. Which is simply this. In order to be focused... In order to be not distracted, because the opposite of distraction is focus, in order for us to become a focused people to accomplish the work that God has called us to accomplish and to be the people that God has called us to be, it's simple. You have to, and I have to, learn to say no. We are a people-pleasing group. We love to say yes, and we love to say yes often, and we love to say yes to everybody. And Nehemiah had the ability, the discernment, and the discipline to consistently say no to probably some good offers. Because here's how that would work out with them. When Nehemiah was given the offer to come and meet with them, the idea or the underlying understanding was that it was they wanted to have peace. They knew that they were kind of enemies. They knew that they didn't get along. They knew that they had some objections to what Nehemiah was doing. And so they probably pursued it in the understanding of, hey, Nehemiah, we want to meet with you, maybe to hurt you, kind of, you know, under that. But we're going to describe it in a way that we just want it to be a peaceful understanding. And no one would look at peace and think, oh, Nehemiah, you jerk. How could you, how could you want peace for your people? But what Nehemiah knew intuitively was peace is important, but it's not as important as what God has called me to. That going to meet with you perhaps is important, 
But it's not as important as what God has called me to. Nehemiah had the ability to focus and say no. In fact, they ramped it up a little bit, and this is what happens in the next couple of verses. He says, I am sending a great, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should you, the work stop without leaving to come down? And they sent me four times in the way, and I answered them in the same way. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, verse 6, it is reported on the nations. In other words, so four times they came and said, hey, Nehemiah, let's meet. Hey, Nehemiah, let's meet. Hey, Nehemiah, let's meet. Each time Nehemiah says, I can't do it, God's called me to this work. I can't do it, God's called me to this work. I can't do it, I can't, God's called me to this work. I can't be distracted. I can't walk away. I can't do any of that stuff because this is what God has, in fact, has called me to. Verse 6, and it was written in this letter the fifth time. It is reported among the nations. And Jeshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That why you are building the wall, or that's, that is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, and now come and let us take counsel together. Now, in other words, or to kind of tell you the, 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 the basis of what they were saying is, Hey, Nehemiah, let me tell you what everyone around you is saying. What everyone around you is saying is that you are just doing this because you want to be king. And we all know that Jerusalem is notorious for just wanting a king. And the only reason that you're building these walls is you actually have set up prophets. You've had this whole thing planned out that you want to become king because Jerusalem and Judah always want a king. And Nehemiah, here's what's at risk. The king is going to find out. And you don't want the king to find out. Now, for us, contextually, we don't really understand kings. We understand presidents. We don't really understand kings. For them, a king, who, by the way, was the king of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, could do anything he wanted to at any point in time. And he didn't have to ask anybody. He didn't have to talk to anybody. He could just have heard that perhaps there might be a guy who maybe is trying to become king and have him killed instantly to set an example. And the essence of what they're saying is Nehemiah. If the king hears about this, he's going to kill you. And Nehemiah, we're not saying you can't ever build the wall. We're just saying come talk to us about this. Come talk to me, come on, let's let's be reasonable people about this. And the plan was to distract Nehemiah. This is his response. Then I sent to him saying, No such thing as you say has been done. For you were inventing them in your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. In other words, Nehemiah says, hey, hey, I am not, I am not, I am not going to be distracted from the thing that God has called me to. Now, pause. Let me tell you why I think we're so distracted. Maybe not why I think we're so distracted. Let me tell you what I think are the results of our distraction. For a lot of us, you kind of hear that idea of being distracted. And it's like, okay, maybe I'm a little bit distracted here or there. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. As a Christian, this is why so few of us actually read our Bible. This is why for many of us, 
we know, and if you've been a Christian for any, any length of time, you know that your relationship with God is of the utmost importance. You know that how you have a relationship with God is how you have a relationship with anybody else. It's through communication and time spent together. That why spending time reading the Bible isn't because grandma said so. It's because the primary way that God talks to us is through his word, the Bible. And the primary way that we talk to God, not the only way, but the primary way is through prayer. You know that your relationship with God is absolutely critical. But for most of us, the truth as Christians is we spend very little time daily in God's word. We spend very little time daily in prayer. And it's not because we're bad people or we're ill-intended. It's because we are distracted. We as Christians have 24 hours in a day and can't find 20 minutes in that 24 hours. To spend with God. In fact, I, I, I saw this guy do this, this one time. We're not going to do that this morning because it would just be universally you know, condemning. So we just pretend that we did this. But I, had a, I saw a guy and he was um, giving a sermon one time. Because for many of us as Christians, you've been at the point where you thought, man, if I'm going to really live into my relationship with God, if I'm going to really become the person that God's called me to do, one of the things that I know that I need to do is start to memorize Bible verses. You know, I know Psalm 119 says, I have hidden my, thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And God, I want to hide your word in my heart. I want to start memorizing verses. So this guy gets up in front of the congregation. I was there when it happened. This isn't like a hypothetical. This was a, this was a really awkward experience, actually. And so he's, you know, talking. He says, okay, if you've been a Christian for at least five years, I want you to raise your hand, you know. Two-thirds of the crowd raises their hand. He says, okay, if you're a Christian and you just raise your hand and you can tell me 15 Bible verses off the top of your head, then I want you to keep your hand up. But if you can't tell me 15 Bible verses, if I called on you right now, then I want you to put your hand down. And like 80% of the people dropped their hand. He said, okay, if you're in here and you're a Christian and you could tell me 50 Bible verses, off the top of your head, I mean, just, just rattle them off. 50 Bible verses in a row, without hesitation. Then I want you to keep your hand up. But if you can't tell me 50 Bible verses right now, then I want you to lower your hand. And everybody's hand went down. He says, That's, here's what that tells me. If you've been a Christian for over five years and you can't tell me 15 verses, that means that you can't memorize three Bible verses a year. That means that you believe that the Savior of the world is declared by the Word of God and witnessed to by the Bible itself. And that the Bible speaks to the witness, speaks to the glory, speaks to the death, speaks to the crucifixion, speaks to the resurrection. And you have pinned your entire life on this thing. In the last five years, you couldn't memorize one verse every four months. And if you can't do 50, here's what that means. You couldn't memorize one verse every, you know, probably five weeks. Less than once a month, you couldn't take God's word and hide it in your heart. And let me tell you why. It's not because we're bad people. It's not because we don't believe. It's because we are so incredibly distracted. And just like Nehemiah, the distractions of our lives are almost always important. There's very few of us, though, some of us that have just ridiculous and stupid distractions. You know, some of us, you know, you're engaged in that, that you know, cultic-type Pokemon thing that's happening, going around. I really know what that's all about. Or maybe it's a World of Warcraft, NBA 2K, whatever, you know, and, and you're just distracted by that kind of stuff. 
Maybe that's you. But for most of us, let's be honest. You're distracted by important stuff. You're distracted by your schoolwork. You're distracted by your career. You're distracted by your family. You're distracted by your kids. And you would never think of that as distraction. But your life just gets so busy that you look at your life and you just think, if I wanted to spend time with God, I don't even know where I'd fit it in. Let me tell you, if you are in that place, if you're in the place where you know you should read the Bible, where you know you should pray, you know you should hide God's Word in your heart, you know perhaps you should fast, you know that you should serve, you know that you should do all of these things on a regular basis, and you don't, the chances are not that you are a bad person. The chances are that you are an incredibly distracted person. And the great news of Nehemiah is that he gives us the example that the key to focus, the key to becoming the person that God's called you to become is simple. It's knowing what to say no to. Many of us make lists on lists on lists on lists of things we want to do, places we want to travel, places we want to go, things that we want to accomplish by the time I hit 30, by the time I hit 40, by the time I hit 50. I have a 10-year travel plan of the only two places I want to go in the world. I want to go to a lot of other places, but in 10 years, let me tell you my, my, my to-do list travel-wise. I want to go to Alaska, and I want to dog sled and see the northern lights, okay, number one, and I want to go to Africa, and I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. 10 years, if I do those two things, I'm good to go. But very few of us have lists of what not to do. And Nehemiah has some compelling things that he could do. But he knows that if he's going to accomplish what God has called him to accomplish, to live into what God has called him to live into, he's got to know what to say no to. That anything that gets in the way or distracts from Nehemiah from becoming the person and the work that God has called him to, he has to say no, regardless of how compelling that is. In fact, here's what happens next as we continue on. He said, Now I went into the house of Shammai, the son of Deliah, Amethabel, which I don't think that's how you pronounce any of those names, but we'll gloss over that, who was confined to his home. He said, Let us meet together. So basically there's a, there's a prophet that he's going to meet that's been you know, stuck in his house. And as he was stuck in his house, he kind of locked himself in. And Nehemiah probably has heard that this guy locked himself in. So he's going to check on He didn't know if he's just been like a weird homeschooler or if he's actually going through something you know, serious. And so Nehemiah goes to check on this. He says, Let us meet together in the house of God. That's what the prophet says to him. Within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. In other words, Nehemiah, here's what I want you to do. The reason I'm locking myself in this house is because I wanted to send a message to you that people are coming to kill you, and if you are going to preserve your life, if you're going to preserve the nation, then you've got to lock yourself in a house. Or come on, Nehemiah, let's do something spiritual. Let's just lock you in the temple. But here's what Nehemiah knew. If he locked himself away, that would send a message to the people that they, would, they could stop the work, and that would send a message to the people that he is scared. And Nehemiah understood that there were probably some incredibly, incredibly, incredibly significant distractions, compelling distractions, but they were distractions. Nonetheless, so Nehemiah responds to him. I said, verse 11, should such a man as I run away, and what man, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Verse 12, and he tells us kind of what he was thinking. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired. In other words, this was his whole reason, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So it says, remember Tobiah and Sambalot. Oh my God, according to these things that they did. 
and also the prophetess Nadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. In other words, Nehemiah said, no, no, I'm not going to go into the temple. No, I'm not going to hide. Come on, what would that do to the people? What would that do to the plan? What would that do to the work of God if I was to simply run away from what God had called me to do and who God had called me to be as their leader? I am absolutely not, even though I don't know definitively and it's my best guess and it's my best belief that this is the reason that you're doing that. And I have some intuition about that. I have some discernment about that. But it is my belief that God has not called a man like me to be distracted in a way like that, that he has in fact called me to build a wall. And we have to become a people who are fiercely devoted to saying no in order to accomplish the work that God has called us to do, in order to accomplish and become the people that God has called us to be. And here is why that's so important in the next verse. This is the part that you can't, can't, cannot miss. So the wall, verse 16, or verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. Now, huge. This was a project that people had been putting off and procrastinating on for, for legit around 90 to 100 years. They had not rebuilt this wall. Generation after generation had come along. Decade after decade had gone through. And everybody looked at the wall. Everybody looked at how much it was in ruins. Everybody looked at how much this thing was almost impossible to accomplish. They saw it and they said, no thank you. We can't do that. Nehemiah, through the power of focus, is able to look. Through the power of focus and saying, no through not being distracted, through being committed and devoted to the work that God had called him to do, did in 52 days, led in 52 days, what no one had done for decades before because it was such an immense task. That is the power that happens when you and I are able to focus and to say no. And why this is so absolutely important comes in this next verse. Verse 17. Verse 16, I'm sorry. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, you cannot miss this. Why your work is so important, why your ministry is so important, Why your devotion and focus to your God is so important is not because it earns you a right standing with God. It is because it is your witness to a lost and a hurting and a broken world. Let me parse this out a little bit. What we believe as Christians is that my performance has nothing to do with my standing of God. My obedience has nothing to do with my standing with God. My accomplishments in life, my accomplishments ministerially have nothing to do with my standing with God. That my right standing with God is solely based on the realization that I am a sinner. And that a couple thousand years ago, God saw me. God saw the entire world. In fact, he had been planning it from the get-go. That he knew that the world was a broken and a sinful and a hurting place. And he did not see our sin. He did not hate us because of our sin. He did not reject us because of our sin. He did not push us away because of our sin. But he sent his son, our Savior, Jesus, to die for our sin. Because he is holy, I am not, and there's no way I can make myself holy enough to earn my way into God's good graces. And he saw that, and he sent his son. And on the cross, Jesus held the sin and the judgment that we and that I should have taken. 
And in that, it pleased the wrath of God. That anyone who believes in that, anyone who receives that, anyone who trusts in that would have ultimate grace, ultimate love, ultimate forgiveness. That it is not being about a good person. It is not ultimately about being obedient. But it is completely about Jesus on the cross. And that God will be no more happy with me or less happy with me due to my performance and my obedience. But God is ultimately satisfied with me, and I am in a right standing with him. I am reconciled with him because of what happened on the cross. But he has called me to be obedient to him because in my obedience to him, Yes, I oftentimes have a better relationship. Yes, I oftentimes feel closer. Yes, I oftentimes feel a sense of intimacy. But more than that, it is my witness. It is his witness to the world as the light of the world. You see, here's the problem. The tragedy that happens with us as Christians is we think our disobedience is a personal problem. We think that when we're disobedient to God, that then we don't live into God, when we don't focus on God, when we don't enter into a daily relationship with God, we don't spend time in prayer, we don't spend time in the Word, that we just don't feel as close to God. But the reality is, is that couldn't be further from the truth because you and I are in a right standing with God completely because of Jesus. That the tragedy that happens is your witness God's work is not seen. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5 that they will see your good works. They will see your work. They will see the work that God is doing in you and through you. And they will turn and praise your Father in heaven as you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. John 15, as Jesus is talking to his disciples kind of along the, along, around the last dinner, he talks to them. He says, here's how this is going to work. I'm the vine, you're the branches. I want you to remain in me and I'm going to remain in you. And let me just tell you, as I remain in you and you remain in me and you remain in my love and I remain in you, as we have this relationship together, let me tell you what the overflow of that relationship is, is that you will be fruitful or you will bear much fruit. What happens as a result of my obedience with God is not my standing with God. It is the witness that God is using in the world to display the gospel and the glory of God to a broken and to a hurting world. Paul says it this way, Therefore we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his plea to the world. Be reconciled to God. That God has chosen us. God is using us. God wants to continue to use us to be a plea to a broken and a hurting world. And the reason why most of us get distracted from this. The reason why most of us lose focus from this. The reason why many of us as Christians know what we ought to do but don't do it is because there is a battle, there is a spiritual battle going on. And we're distracted. And we don't see it. And we just think that we're busy. Let me ask you this, practically. What is it that you need to start saying no to? What is it that might be a compelling thing What is it that might be an incredible opportunity? What is it that might be a fantastic hobby that you need to start saying no to? Because it is distracting you. What is it daily that's distracting you? 
What is it that's keeping you from spending time with God daily? What is it that's distracting? What's the opportunity that you know this is the work that God has called you to do, but it is distracting you from ultimately fulfilling the work that God has called you to do? What is the thing that's a great opportunity, but it's distraction for you? Kind of take it out of the um, normal Bible context for a second. The world gets this. The world gets it. Steve Jobs, famous innovator, has a quote, and to kind of paraphrase the whole quote, he basically says, the key to innovation, the key to innovation is focus. And the key to focus is not saying yes to the right things, but saying no to all of the good things that you could do but that you can't do. He says, as proud as I am of the things that we've done, I'm just as proud of the thousands of good ideas that we didn't do. Nehemiah understood that a couple thousand years before that. When he had the outside world looking in, saying, distract, 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 distract. And he said, I will not be distracted. Because this is God's work and our witness to the world. And I can't afford to be distracted. As compelling as it is, I can't afford to be distracted. Make this kind of final plea. For many of us, again, this is why you look at your schedule it's hard to enter in time with God daily. This is why for some of us, you think about serving, and it just doesn't seem like you have time to serve. This is why for some of us, you think about groups, because one of the things that we absolutely believe here is that what happens in rows is important, what happens here on Sunday mornings is important, but where real, real life change is made concrete is that small groups of people get together. Groups of 10, groups of 12, groups of 8. Talk about the scriptures, talk about the Bible, talk about perhaps what we talked about in the sermon, talk about what's going on in their life, share prayer requests, and share life together. We think that is where life change happens. And the reason why many of us have not engaged in groups is not because we disagree with that. It's because we are distracted. Because there's a thousand other things going on that's vying for your attention. But if we're ever going to become the people that God's called us to be. We have got to, got to, got to learn to say no. And it's not because God is going to be mad at you if you don't. It's not because your standing is going to be any less if you don't. It's because an entire broken, hurting world needs to see a group of Christians who are fiercely devoted to what God has called them to. Because just finish with this. If you're in here and you're a Christian, and you're not a Christian, Checking the whole church thing out. Not really sure what you believe. Not really sure what you think. Maybe just a little bit interested. Maybe not even interested, but just somebody invited you and you weren't doing anything else. Isn't it true that perhaps the reason that you're not a Christian is because you see a bunch of Christians who are no different than you, have no different prioritization than you, their life isn't fruitful in any different way than yours is? They say they believe in the Son of God. They say they believe in this holy text. They say that the Spirit of God lives inside of them, yet there is no difference. And wouldn't you think about Christians differently? 
if perhaps the work that God had called them to do was accomplished in them and through them and was a witness to the God that they serve, the God that we serve, the God, the God that we say we believe in. That's what happened in Nehemiah. They thought that God was a joke. They thought, how could a God, how could God be real? How could God of that city be real with the condition of that city? And when Nehemiah and the group had finished building the wall, cumulatively, they look and their esteem got lower because they realized perhaps there's something to that God. And that is what a broken and hurting world, a world deeply in need of reconciliation, is looking for. is for a group of people, a group of individuals to become so focused on what God has called them to do and who God has called them to be that eventually, as they see that work becoming accomplished, they look at it and say, that is different. And it is not your relationship with God that's at stake. It is your witness to the world and the way that God wants to use you to reconcile the world to himself that God has called us to. So here's your homework. We finish, and this will be it for the day. I want everybody to go home, if you're a Christian especially. You can do this if you're not a Christian, but especially if you're a Christian. I want you to go home, and I want you to make a list. I want you to make a short list, three things, three things that you need to stop doing. This is the practical side of the sermon. Everything is good, okay, I need to focus. Now, I want you to go home, and I want you to take a piece of paper out, take a, you know, your, you know, your, notebook out or you know my notebook I meant iPad you know whatever it is that you got out you know I want you to get that and I want you to write out three things three things specific things that you need to stop doing three things that you know are a distraction three things that you know perhaps are a great opportunity perhaps are a great hobby I want you to write down three things that you need to stop doing because we need to begin to condition ourselves to realize that this idea of focus this idea of three things not to do this idea of saying no is deeply spiritual because we live in a world that is so incredibly distracted that the people of God have to be focused on what God has called us to do and in doing so be a witness to the world that we serve the one true living God who so deeply and desperately loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world not to condemn it but to give it eternal life and the world is waiting for a group of people to live like that so let's pray together